1: This is Bruce. This is Trav.
0: And this is Jonathan. On a dark and stormy night, October 20th, 12 years ago, this podcast started.
1: Ba, ba, ba. Okay, yeah. <laughs> See, to Season, the day. Yep, yep. To Season the day. 13 premiere
0: here, folks. That's right. We have, we have closed the can on 12 years of this Now back then it was called the Frisjorie Podcast And then the TriTac Games Podcast And now it's Gaming on the Frontier Because we're doing the same thing we've always done Which is to bring the awesome to your game And uh, give you options and all the other things And now we're doing it for the 13th time This is a lucky year for us, I guess, right?
1: Hope so. After the year we, the three of us have had, yeah, I hope so. <laughs> well, the last two years up.
0: didn't have thirteen in them, but they haven't been terribly lucky, other than the fact that yeah. that that uh, two thirds of us did not get uh COVID.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, feeling a little called yeah. out here, old friend. Yeah, yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I
1: mean, all three of us have had over the past year or so not the best years of our lives. Just yeah, especially twenty nineteen. So, this is hopefully a new start on all fronts for the three of us and yeah I, I i know bruce you didn't think that this thing would go you know make it to season 13 premiere i
0: didn't think it i didn't think it'd get past season six <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah how'd that work out for you yeah
0: yeah well you know when we hit uh episode what was it um 500 uh, I think, or... no 400 i think it was yeah you know that was we were like going come on guys i mean it's uh Surely we have nothing left to say. So here we are, almost at episode 600. Yeah. Uh, we are currently on the site uh, up to episode. Well, uh, oh, okay, I went all the way to the end. Uh, all right, let me go the other way. Um, okay, uh, 589. So we are ele- you know, like 11 episodes away from episode 600. Man. That is a lot of episodes.
1: I think uh as I said, this is October twentieth, twenty twenty one. So I see us getting to episode six hundred. Let's see. One taping gives us two episodes. From Christmas to New Year's, we might hit episode six hundred, Christmas New Year's twenty one. Mm-hmm. Which I I think that's a nice gift for us. Oh, look, we made it this far. Yeah. Just and and it's funny, Bruce and I, because you know the OG over there. And I was here April 20th, 2009. So I've been doing this now for 11 and a half years. And there are times Bruce and I, Oh, did we do this episode already? We got to look back. And my roommate's like, just wrap it up. You two don't even remember what the hell you've done. (laughs) That's why we have the site. You know, it's like Sean Connery. We wrote it down. So we don't have to remember. Yeah.
0: (laughs) That's right. Uh Um, uh, Gaming on the Frontier, our, our episodes are literally episodic, so therefore uh, they're, they are topical. So you can uh, search our site for the various things that you're interested in, whether it be uh, uh, dinosaurs, pirates, international travel, um, uh, witches, warlocks, and things that go bump in the night and this is an excellent night to talk about that sort of thing because you know we're only about a week away from halloween so uh certainly it's the last podcast we're recording before halloween uh so i'm uh, uh i'm looking forward to halloween we got our decorations up uh we probably won't get that many people coming by because we don't have that many kids in our neighborhood but we'll see what happens and um, unlike Richard Tejolka, who used to get like five hundred kids. Oh every yeah, game. I
1: heard. Yep, yep. That's where he got the yeah. It's where he got the idea for the Vampire Brats and B thirteen. All these kids come up. He just took a pic- pictures of a few of them all done up with you know makeup. Yeah.
0: Just uh, <laughs> and uh, of course it would make perfect sense for Vampire Brats to be out because well know.
1: yeah. Uh, Let's see. Up here for me, uh, my complex doesn't do Halloween. So since 2003, Halloween's just become another evening. And so, yeah, it's just going to be a nice quiet. I mean, a few like newer teenagers will come by and I hear them walking and knocking on doors like, no, we don't do Halloween here. And this guy go on, go. Go home. <laughs> wow,
0: grumpy old man.
1: Well, no, I'm not saying that to him, but I'm sitting there, I'm hearing, I'm hearing the door, and they're, like, next to it, and, you know, I've been living in an apartment complex, so it's not like we have lights on, you know, like, the thing, you know, turn your light on so people know to come to the door and do trick or treat. Yeah, we don't have that.
0: Yeah, I was at a convention uh, quite a few years ago with my son, who was quite small at the time, and so we decided, it was on Halloween, uh, so we decided to go around and knock on doors and trick or treat. So he gets his costume on, and I go knock on the door. The guy opens the door, looking at me. You know, I said, treat, and he goes, "Eric goes trick, or treat." And the guy's like, "Oh no, man! It is Halloween. I don't have any candy. You want a beer?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I'm gonna give my kid a beer. That's what, what a great idea that is, buddy. Thanks." Oh. <laughs> How could you not have snacks? Come on, you're a con. You relying on the on the con suite for everything? So. Oh, yeah. All right, anyways. But, you know, uh, this week we are not talking about Bureau 13. Uh, we are instead talking about a game that calls itself called ECB, External Containment Bureau. Uh, this has recently uh, uh, gone to print. They had a Kickstarter for it and i i saw this and said wow this sounds like something very familiar to me i wonder how well they did it uh it is an rpg a paranormal investigation for 2 to 6 players for 2 to 4 hours so the very first thing we know is is that this is a uh basically a supernatural investigation game that is designed to be done in a very short period of time uh unlike um you know, Bureau 13 and other games like that Which go on for weeks and weeks and weeks You know, uh, becoming more and more involved uh, This this game is designed to not do that So that you and your friends can get together Have a good time playing it for an evening And can walk away from it If you so desire If you want to continue You can make up new sessions Which again are going to be pretty much uh, independent So, uh, uh, looking at it, we see that it is uh, based on Blades in the Dark, uh, which is a uh, uh, which is licensed, uh, uh, developed and authored by John Harper, and it is uh, used under the Creative Commons Attribution 3.0, much like this podcast. Oh, yeah. All right. So, uh, and I've asked uh, Jonathan to check into Blades in the Dark and see, you know, what... What he can, if he can summarize that game system for us?
2: Yeah, as far as the the overall tone of it is a sort of Victorian Cthulhu esque kind, kind of world. Uh, there's been a, a cataclysm and the world is in shambles, and you have magic and it's like steampunkish technology sitting next to each other. You know, like hmm, you do. Okay. And um, one of the things I noticed, it, it also seems to be kind of one of those um, casual games. It doesn't appear to be as casual as this ECB, but it it, it definitely is made to be rules-light, just play, get, get through your story, get through your narrative, and move on to the next you know game. If, if you want to keep playing in this in a campaign, great. If not, do your one game and you're done. The system itself is kind of a... A D6-based dice pool system. So you have your attributes, and you know they're rated 1 to 4, and that tells how many D6 you roll when you're attempting to perform an action.
0: Right, and what you're trying to do is roll the highest of all those dice. You yeah. don't add them. You just pick the die that has yeah. the highest number.
2: Whatever The highest number is, is your result. So if you roll a 6, which is the highest number, that's an automatic success. If you roll a 4 or 5, it's a success, but there's a complication that it comes up. Uh, if their highest die is, you know, 3 or less, that's a failure.
0: And especially oh, okay. if you roll 1 on all your dice.
2: <clears throat> yeah. And then if you happen to roll 2 or more 6s on your dice, then that's a critical success, and, you know, you succeed with amazing results.
0: But in general... It's always important that you have... As many dice in your pool, because that way you can get those critical successes.
2: And you can add, there's ways to add more dice from friends helping, teammates helping you, or as one uh, one listing here, uh, a plus one dice if you push yourself or take a devil's bargain. Um, it's very but one thing I've, I'm kind of enjoying reading about this is it is very rules light. It is made to be grasped fairly quickly and played at least on the player's side i haven't had a chance to really dig into the to the full uh like setting and, and all that stuff i've just i've mainly just been able to see the player facing rules and stuff like that but it's definitely interesting um i and it seems to have like a, a, a lot of what the trend seems to be nowadays is a lot more like narrative-driven, cinematic-style RPGs, as opposed to the more rules-heavy and and realistic games from our memories of, like, the 80s and 90s.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. All right, so the inspiration, according to them, for this particular game was basically a a group of video games, tabletop RPGs, and television shows, uh, primarily, Blades in the Dark was the one we just mentioned. Uh, there's another one called Brindlewood Bay, which was a tabletop RPG, was released in 2020. Never heard of it. Control, the video game that came out in 2019, which I have heard of.
2: I've been playing that. That's actually very much, yeah. I, reading, reading the this ECB, I, I'm like, yeah, that's that's from Control. Yeah, that's from Control. Yeah, that's from Control. Yeah, it's very. You can. It wears its inspiration on its sleeve on that front.
0: Right. Uh, There's another one which is called Crash Cart, which was a table RPG that came out in 2020. This is like during the pandemic, so I'm like, I have not seen or heard any of these things. Yeah. Normally I would see these things going to Gen Con, which of course has... uh, They did have a... a, It was like right after Dragon Con this year, so we were like, nah, that's not happening. All all my uh, vacation was used up going to uh, uh, Dragon Con. Yeah. then they have Cthulhu Deep Green, which is a table RPG that came out in 2019. Now, when I first read this, I was like, well, no, this is Delta Delta Green. No, this is Deep Green. So I have no idea, again, about Yeah, this. that's what
1: I was thinking at first. I said, yeah, I've heard, oh, no, wait a minute, 2019, no. Delta Green's been out for ages, yeah. A long
0: time, yeah. yeah. So, and um, And then they also said they were inspired by the Fringe television series. From 2008 to 2013 Then there's this podcast That I've never heard of Called the Magnus Archives That ran from 2016 to 2021 Which possibly means It's still going on Yeah. Uh, Then there's also the Men in Black Film in 1997 Uh, The SCP Foundation Which we talked about before Which is a collaborative web project uh, With a lot of really cool Items uh, in it that get out of hand, and you're basically in charge of uh, securing, controlling, and protecting them. SCP. Uh, and finally, you know, probably the uh, uh, the elder statesman of the bunch, the X Files <laughs> television yeah. series from 1993 to 2002. And I don't know, I don't think that includes does not include the latest uh, resurgence of it.
2: Oh At least yeah. They're not
0: yeah. saying they were inspired by no. it. No. Uh yes, perhaps not. I was personally very much inspired by the uh uh by the Dana Scully uh post office episode. I don't know if you don't you apparently this. don't know what I'm talking about. Okay.
2: Uh, I haven't been watching the is this from the, the new uh revival. Mm-hmm. I have not seen it yet.
0: Oh yeah,
1: neither right now.
0: Well, You'd miss something. Okay,
1: oh, you might <laughs> want to <laughs> check that out.
0: Okay, so, anyways, all right. So, um, I'm going to start off right away. You know, they 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 tried to be very, um, uh, you know, a very secret agent like with this whole book, but a lot of it, you know, it, it kind of irritated me because they do this blacking, you know, re- redacting, blacking out stuff. Okay, you're, you're reading along and all of a sudden there's a big black line And then goes on with something else uh, And, you know, and you're like going, what What was there? You know, why, why would we, you know, an agent of the, the ECP Not be privy to this information? You know, when does this When do we get to see an unredacted version of this? Okay, uh, and all I'm going to tell you is that having read this all the way through It's just... It's just, you know, it's just flavor. Okay, it's not even, it's not flavor text because it's the reverse of flavor text. But I'm saying is that they're not covering up anything. It's just to make it look, you know, like they're holding information back from you. They really aren't. It's all there. You just skip over it. It's just the way they decided to write it. They basically got rid of unnecessary words. Like one line says, the concentration of redacted energies at the Bureau creates a sensitive environment where the wrong object or action carries redacted consequences. See page redacted for more information about specific Bureau procedures. You know, that, and it keeps doing that. And I'm just saying is that, you know, if you read this, just ignore that. Just, Just, you can read it without... Any real problem, is <laughs> yeah, just you it's, know, just understand. their flavor, but yeah, they're just doing it to mess with you, you know. Yeah. And uh, and the idea being that you you know that, that as agents, you never know everything, I and mean, that's actually pretty true because you know the uh, one of the things that's part of this game is the fact is that there's information that you have to figure out, and uh, when you do it, um, it, it advances the game. And it, but these are all things that are decided ahead of the game, so that you know when you're sitting down to play, you know the uh, you know you can go bang 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 through it. And we'll talk about that particular mechanic. So uh, they do the standard, explaining what a player character is, what a game master is, and things like that. But um, essentially, um, it, it does nothing really happens till you get to the bureau directives. Okay. And uh, the Bureau directives Directors are as follows. Identify. The purpose of the Bureau is to study and identify paranormal entities. That's important to understand that that's something that you're trying to do. Okay? that's You, you should expect that to, be, to always be part of your game. Second thing, contain. Uh, agents are expected to secure, contain, and obscure the paranormal in its local environment. Okay, that's that's different from a lot of games. You know, you're you know, a lot of games is kind of like it's a bug hunt, sir. You know, no, you're not, I mean, you know, theoretically killing something would contain it, but most of the time, you're supposed to try to way find a way of the the paranormal being able to live in its current environment. Okay, and which which, in a way, is analogous to Bureau 13's idea yeah. that's, that some things are ecologically necessary, and therefore you shouldn't get rid of them. If you do, they'll have bad consequences.
1: Well, that was in that is how, in the Bureau universe, the Great Depression started. Oh, yeah, there was a high minister, a, a demonic high minister of hell running Wall Street. Yeah, the Bureau came in and took him out, but he was the one keeping the economy going, so once that happened, we got the Great Depression. So, yeah, it's not always wise to, when you're doing these games, just get rid of it. No, it may be filling a niche.
2: And also, you got the idea that this, as they say under the identifier, this is a scientific organization. So they yes. also just want to study it. Yep. They can't study it if, it, if it's dead and, and destroyed.
1: Well, they can. It just It's, an, not it's called not an not autopsy. Just, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: But in this particular game, it's explicitly stated that you're supposed to protect the supernatural. You're supposed to find a way for it to exist in its current setting uh, with some modifications, perhaps. And that, you know, it, that when, before you leave, it should be able to coexist with its environment. Okay. Uh it's this, it's this destruction of these of these phenomenon is sometimes necessary, but strongly discouraged. And uh, as a matter of fact, is that if you do do that, then it it acts as a negative thing on your uh, review at the end of the mission, which can make a big difference as to whether or not you advance. Oh so, yeah, all right. And then finally, uh, uh, there's this is called obfuscate, which is the uh, Uh, The agents are required To make sure that First of all Nobody understands Outside of the agency What's actually going on Okay And They're also Obligated To Never tell anybody That the agency exists Which uh, In my particular uh, Bureau 13 game People have kind of gotten Real loose about they, they seem to say, well, we'll just tell them we're part of a secret government agency that hunts down the supernatural, and they'll, they'll understand what's going on then. I'm like, yeah, but you're not supposed to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, there's a reason like, why you're not supposed to do uh, that.
2: Like number two on the on the priority list is right. don't right. reveal the existence of the paranormal or the bureau.
0: Right. So you're also supposed to be engaging in this information, uh, disinformation Uh, procedures, and you're expected to come up with specific procedures for doing that in each adventure. So, it's, you know, it's something that, you know, when you go into the planning stage, a lot of times you can't know until the very end what's actually going on, but I'm just saying is that they should always be prepared, you know, with a number of contingencies to be able to do that. So, that's what obfuscate is about. So, uh, the normal way that the sessions work Is that initially they start off with a briefing uh, Which is a person that the agents all you know, uh, uh, At least one of the agents knows And it has something to do with their department Because there are many departments inside of the ECB And your character may not all belong to the same department As a matter of fact, it's a good thing if they don't because different departments have special abilities, and so, you know, by not having uh, you know all from the same department, you get this wider range of special abilities, but that also means that there isn't this very clear you know who's in charge, who's the, the person, and basically what it comes down to is whoever gives you the mission, that department's in charge, and you're expected to to handle that. The first thing is the briefing, and the agents have a chance to ask questions. Um, and the uh, and the G- and the GM presents the mission clock, which is a circle with segments, you know, like a pie chart. Uh, the more segments, the easier it is. When you have a chart that has only four segments, you're getting thrown into the in, in fast and furious. And they, you know, so it's it's something for the players to let them know that they have a very short period of time to resolve this and they better really concentrate, otherwise they're going to fail. And you can't fail in this game. Okay, so the first thing, uh, what's what's the actual, the, the, the clock starts for the mission. The first thing you have to do is identify the supernatural thing. And the second thing, uh, and after you identify what's going on, or at least what you think is going on You present a theory And the theory uh, Has a theory role Involved in it To see whether it's true or not If it's not, if the role comes up badly Then no, that's wrong You know, Even if it not, actually might be right And you have to come up with another theory <laughs> Which I thought was very odd But yeah, the GM doesn't say Hey, yeah, you got it right It, it was like, no, you have to get it right The right way <laughs> So, Because in like a lot of adventures I've been on The uh, agent has, you know, one of the team members One of the players will suddenly come up with this idea of what's going on And be dead right But have no evidence to support it whatsoever In this game, if you don't have anything to support it You can't act on that You have to go and say You have to act on things that make sense to your character all right. Then, of course, you take that action, that that plan based upon that theory that's been accepted, to contain, obscure the paranormal, and put it into action. And depending upon how that ends up, you have a debrief and downtime, where essentially the uh, GM, acting as the uh, senior ECB uh, employee, uh, tells you whether you were successful or not, what uh, what complications there were. What uh, uh, hanging threads there were, uh, loose ends is what they're called, and you know, and they and he and he basically gives you what's called paperwork. You have to do you have to do stuff to resolve it, finally resolve it, and depending upon your success in this section will also determine whether you know whether you get what's called residence. And resonance is is a good and a bad thing. It's a two edged sword. Resonance means that you gain more powers, you gain more abilities. But the higher your resonance is, the shorter your lifespan as an agent is. Because when you become power, too, when you become very powerful, essentially the, the the ECB has to do something about you.
2: Yeah, you the thing that's contained or, and studied
0: yes something yeah you're going to have to eventually you will become contained and because uh, one of the things that happens is you gain supernatural powers and so yes, eventually you will be a supernatural entity through these interactions that has to be you know contained. So in a way it's like Call of Cthulhu where you know you lose enough sanity and they basically cart you off and put you away. Okay, in this game similarly once you become powerful enough then you know with enough abilities then you know you're you're going to get uh, shut down and put away. So your character has a certain longevity and it's not a terribly long one. It's not you know this is not a game designed for people playing the same character for years, you know, and retiring or whatever having kids and raising like we've talked about for Bureau 13 on this podcast this game you're basically a short timer you know as an agent you are you know you're going you know eventually you're going to find yourself being contained somewhere somehow you know and it may be that you just have to stay in the in in the main office and don't get to go out or do anything you know you, you're but you're essentially ultimately your character becomes an npc
2: yeah this isn't the, a game for for long multi-year campaigns this is this is something for like summer break or you know a few yeah, months
0: yeah okay. right and that fits the way that most people play today see most people I mean we've we've been we've said this before, and it's, it's come up that you know most of the players that we run into, even if they want to keep playing the game, they don't want to keep playing the same character. We don't have people that want to play the same character for years and years and years, unless they're people who've been playing the character for years and years and years., you know, like i've I've got some players in my in my games that they've been playing games with me for many decades. And as a result, they are used. To, they love the idea of playing a character For years and years But most people who come on playing It's like, they play a character for three months They're like, okay, it's time to bring in a new character Or I have this character idea I want to bring in this new character So we've got to take my old character And, and um, you know Turn them into an NPC or move them off Or somehow sandbag this character So I don't have to deal with it anymore So I can move on to my new You know, best friend forever
2: yeah. One of, one of my gaming buddies who is also uh co-owner of the LARP company we ran, um he he retired his Bureau thirteen character by secretly building himself a cryo chamber next to a magical font and just going to sleep next to oh, okay. a whole lot of magic. Okay. I made use of it.
0: all <laughs> right. Well, uh, uh Jonathan, why don't you talk why don't you explain to the users what an action role is? So uh, as I mentioned earlier, it it's anything where you're
2: trying to uh, adjust the the, the the plot, perform an action, uh, convince somebody that you're on their side, or and that they need to tell you you know what they saw. Uh, they need to tell you, or you know, you're trying to jump from one train car to another. Anything that in most other RPGs you would roll for—that's an action roll. Usually, the way they they break down is. First, the player will state their goal. What they what are they trying to do? And the GM will then respond, okay, well, that's a, a role on your persuasion. And they also look and say, okay, how risky is this action they're trying to take? If it's jumping from one train car to another when the train is perfectly still, that's fairly safe. They, or as they call it in the rule book, playing what? it safe. If they're trying to run across the train in the middle of a blizzard and the trains going almost you know full speed. well that's a little bit more dangerous. So the GM will take oh, sorry the GM will take this in, uh, take this helmet and, des- and decide the position that this action is how, you know how risky is this action And then the player will gather up their dice according to that their trait in that action you know, one to four dice and then others, if they have some other bonuses for gear and their personal backgrounds and stuff like that, and they roll. And again, you know, they look, they of all these dice, they pick the highest number and that's their success role. And as we mentioned before, you know, one to three is failure. Four to five is, you know, a uh, success with complications. And then you move on from there. It's meant to be fairly quick.
0: -hmm So essentially it, it, whenever you go and decide to do something, okay, the GM will basically state you know what type of action you're taking. Are you playing it safe, acting cautiously, you know to do, to do things according to Bureau directives? Or are you being doing something risky? You know, and this is the default position in the game mostly. And then there's what's called danger close. Which is is that you are getting up front and close with the very thing that uh, you know that uh, th- that you're not supposed to do. Okay, and it also you're doing mean, the
2: crazy stuff.
0: Yeah, it means you're going to be in trouble. So, uh, and this will have an effect on your character and also on the pro the progress of the mission. So, it's always best to play it safe if you can. But if you play it safe, you're not always going to be able to do that. So, uh, and, uh, so, for example, if you are playing it safe, you get to take a die if you follow all relevant Bureau directives. Obviously, you can't play it safe. You, you don't get that if you're doing a risky action or a danger close action. Okay? You get another die... If your background applies to this. And backgrounds have to do with like which department you're from and things like that. So if you're somebody who knows a lot about whatever it is or has abilities that uh, allow you to successfully complete whatever action you actually try to do, you get another die. If you have if you have the right gear to do it, like climbing a mountain and you have, you know, climbing gear. Or uh, you're trying to pick a lock, you know, and it's you've got a pick, uh, a lock pick, all right, that you get another die, okay. And of course, if you have paranormal abilities uh, that are a- uh, applicable, you get another die. So you can have up to four dice uh, uh, theoretically to do an action. So not, not counting your,
2: your basic attributes. So if you're already attempting something that you have already mastered, and you have a, a ranking of four, and then yeah, you're rolling eight dice,
0: right? So and of course that and that's trying to get those multiple sixes. So, but uh, and you know and and the results of that you know the uh, means that you're going to be six, uh, hopefully successful. And when you're successful, then you're able to advance that mission uh, clock from you know along the way. And, uh you know because there's there's a number of different clocks that uh, are in this particular game all right we have um let's see what we have here uh clocks uh clock segments um uh, let's see uh, there's progress clocks, which is what you're normally trying to do, okay but, if you have something going on that's causing a, 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 a complication, like danger, if there's something like a ravenous monster in the area, or if you know the, the townspeople are running around with pitchforks, or if the police are showing up, or if there's a you know a, a fire going on, that the the, the GM will put a danger clock, and depending upon how many se- uh, segments, says how immediate this danger is. Uh, if you have only a four segment clock that means you're in immediate danger or there is a disastrous obstacle in your way uh if you have a six segment clock then it's a difficult obstacle and danger is approaching and if you have an eight segment clock then it means that it's it's a it's a it's a complex obstacle but you're going to be you know you're probably going to be able to 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 handle it and if there are complications they're going to be long term So the slow, you know, so uh, danger clocks You want to fill them up as slowly as possible Okay, and when a complication occurs The GM ticks one to three segments on the clock And when the clock is full Danger comes to fruition The police show up, loose ends are created Bad things happen So danger clocks go hand in hand with the progress clock Especially if you're somebody who does risky things
1: well, I do like here at the bottom, if in the course of your investigation you find that every even eight segments is too few to model the nature of a problem, simply link multiple smaller clocks together. Consider how each clock in this series might present a new phase of the problem. I do like that, so you're not totally constrained, and it will help you plan scenarios for that evening better.
2: Yeah, like maybe if you want a ten-segment clock, you have a four-segment Early introduction, you know, investigation phase and then a six segment actual dealing with the problem phase.
0: Yeah. Right. Well if it's a very simple thing to do, then you might only want four segment clock because you know, as the as the as you do it, the GM's gonna tick off one to three segments of the clock. So it might simply be two relevant actions and you you've broken into the building. You know, usually it'd be something like I have to turn off the security And I also have to open the freaking door. So those are two, you know, basically you should be able in two actions complete that as long as you don't screw up, you know, uh, uh, like running a danger clock to the end by shooting the lock out or, you know, running into the security guards. You know, crashing like
2: your car into the front entrance. Crashing
0: <laughs> your car through the front entrance. That'll get you. That'll get you through that door real <laughs> fast. But it's going to add a whole lot of, comp- of loose ends and danger <laughs> clocks. So, yeah. but yeah. So you basically just tie these clocks together, and it's basically it's, it's just a way of, of doing this. Now, what they're not clear about at all is whether or not you show the GM shows these to the players. I think he should.
2: I think, yeah. Otherwise, there's no point to having it. I mean, the GM can just kind of keep track in their own head. I well, think, uh,
0: I don't think so. I think the whole point of this is, is that, you know, for the GM to be fair, they have to do this. And I think yeah. you know, they have to use this, this mechanism okay, of, of tracking behavior, tracking stuff so that they're, they're being very fair. And they're not just basically pulling out a complication out of their butt because they just think the game's too boring up till now. Yeah, it's, yeah, the it's,
1: yeah, it, it the whole thing with having the transparency, it'll also help the players plan better and not do stupid stuff that will endanger the rest of the team.
2: Yeah, like you can be risky at the very you know start of the mission when you know there's no hardly any danger segments filled up and you don't have any progress segments filled up, so you can play it risky and because you know that's kind of what. The whole point of playing it risky is is to you know fill up your progress bar faster, but I'm probably going to fill up your danger you know clock faster as well. So or add a yeah. danger clock. So yeah,
0: I mean uh, you know you hear you have a security guard who is you know a a green beret retired, okay, and uh, loves to go to the shooting range on the weekends, but he's 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 old and fat, and he's sleeping in the in, in the security room. Okay, you sneak in. Everything's fine. You bust in, and suddenly the GM flops down a four-segment danger clock. <laughs> it's like, ah, oh, crap! Something happened. All right, okay. Now we gotta, we gotta do, we gotta move fast and not draw. You know, figure out some way of. De- we'll figure out some way of dealing with this. You know, what do we do? Do we have the equipment to uh, knock out everybody in the area? Can we, like, sleep gas everybody? So, I really see equipment as being a very key part of this game. And, um, and 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 that's where all those departments become important because different departments have access to different types of equipment. So, somebody who's from, like, administration or something might be able to have really... might be able to come up with, like, a work order or something to explain why you're there after hours, okay? Uh, and confront the... Uh, uh, the 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 security guard who will then be defused and there and and you'll be able to progress. You know, uh, and but or you know, let's say if you if you're from something another department that uh, uses a lot of chemicals, maybe you'd be able to have a sleep gas. Or something. I mean, I'm just saying the backgrounds provide equipment, and it's good to have a lot, a bunch of people from various backgrounds to have that wide range of equipment. So, um, anyways, so you know, we, we there's the progress clock, which basically pro uh, tracks progress against an obstacle. Okay, so. Uh, the the smaller the the smaller the clock in that case the better it is because you get through it faster okay danger clocks same thing you know the har- uh, the harder it is you know this uh, it, it's the kind of the odds of the progress clock the easier uh, the, uh, the harder it is um uh, you, you're gonna have more segments because it's gonna have to it's gonna take longer to do it uh, the danger clock you have shorter segments if it's harder there's also a mission clock which is used to uh, to show whether they are uh, how far they are through the mission, and uh, it represents growing danger and complications. So uh, when the uh, it says here, the mission clock fills one to three segments at a time as a consequence of the agent's action or inaction. As the clock fills, the agents. Uh, find themselves in an increasingly desperate situation. A full mission clock represents the worst possible situation. So yeah, rather that, than getting yourself that, to the end, like say, oh, I want to get to the end of the mission clock, you don't. You know, the mission clock is basically an indication of how bad, how badly is this mission going.
2: How much attention have you drawn to oh, okay. yourselves yeah. and the mission? You know, like, yeah, because I saw like, an example would be like if, you know, mission clock reaches a halfway point, then, you know, people notice the missing kids. If it gets to the three-fourths point, they start sending out, you know, search parties. And if it gets all the way full, then, you know, the National Guard gets called in to help with those search parties. And so it's kind of that, that ramping up of the stakes as the mission goes on.
0: So theoretically, what you want is, um, uh, uh is is essentially you want a uh the pro- to go through the progress clocks as quickly as possible at the same time without going through the danger clocks or the mission clocks hardly at all so you basically have three clocks that are going along and there's there's a few other things that come into play things like uh uh lost opportunities um uh, uh loose ends you know, as a result of doing something. And those would, would be advancing the mission clock or the uh, danger clock, okay? Uh, because essentially that means you didn't do something right. But that's essentially how you play the game. The GM has to kind of like, you know, evaluate what the agents are doing. But again, they have a plan. They said, this is why we're going to do things. And then, you know, the, and that's because until they say we're going to do this or going to do that, the GM can't put a... a a um, a progress clock down to represent that action. So, uh, or a danger clock or anything else. So the players are still in charge. The G, you know, all the GM has done is set up a number of different things that make, you know, to is what the scenario is and what things are available to them. So, it's st-
2: one of the things that definitely caught my eye with this is that it's as opposed to it being more of the gm creates a scenario and you know you know watches and and helps the players go through that scenario and whatever path they choose this is it seems more like the gm puts the most bare bones of an idea out there and lets the players chart their own course and where they end up is where the players have led them and the gm is just reacting to them for most of the time
1: it it's almost like a kind of a flip of normal role-playing games in a way it, it's I mean it gives a lot more collaborative storytelling mm-hmm. which is what we want with a role-playing game but this one the players are doing a lot and we're not and, and I'm not saying you're know, like oh we're forced this game forces the players to work no it it gets them more gives them more agency in creating what's going to happen yeah. by putting down as bare bones, a concept for tonight's scenario as possible.
2: Yeah. And the, and the players just kind of lead the way and the GM is playing catch up to them in some cases and, and helping focus it where it needs to be focused.
0: Yeah. So the GM essentially knows what the big bad is or what the problem is or whatever it is that they're there to deal with. And the g m also knows what predetermined complications there are. Everything else comes from the player's actions
2: see that's the thing. I don't even think in the um and like the example adventures they give here. I don't think there's any big, bad even listed. I think it's just here's the situation, here's the complications, and that's it
0: <laughs> well. Okay, I mean I'm using the word big bad because it's really just the threat. One of the examples was there's a supernatural creature in an area oh, yeah. and needs and and, and yeah. they need to resolve it, okay? And uh and some of the complications are is is that because it's there, it's attracting other supernaturals. Yeah. And so, you know, you have to figure out some way of dealing with this attraction effect. Is it because of its actions that it's attracting? Is it attracting because it's just supernatural? You know that might cause you to need to remove it from the area because it's attracting things from outside the area, okay? Or cause other supernatural area causing them to reveal themselves, okay? But if you know if all it takes is just you know putting on a funny wig, you know, in a trench coat like Ra- uh, Raphael going out <laughs> for pizza <laughs> in the Teenage Mutant Ninja uh, yeah, uh, Turtles, oh, yeah. then. Then we're good, you know It's, it's, it's amazing how well that, that costume works For going out and getting pizza <laughs> Alright, so that it, that's essentially the game Right there That's all there is to it uh, there's, There are no big lists of equipment There's no big lists of uh, Of, uh, you know Big bads here and there And, you know, uh, uh, various things but, uh, The rest of the game uh, the rest of the book here, I should say. By the way, we're only on page 19 at this point, okay? This thing supposedly has a total yeah, of 53 pages. Just over 50 pages, pages for this, so, yeah. Yeah, so that's, that's you know, we're not talking about a lot of rules here.
2: Again, a very useful game for just, like, a casual... Well, like What I used to call it, like, the the beer and peanuts game. It's It's yeah. made to be something you do when... You have your friends together, and you weren't planning on gaming, but you all decided, "Hey, you know what? Let's play a game after all." I don't have my dice with me. That's all right. I got my Monopoly dice. That'll work. Yep.
0: Right. So, uh, yeah, exactly. It's all it takes is d sixes, which we have plenty of. Okay. So, uh, when you play this character, uh, what the 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 first thing you do is you pick a background. Okay. And backgrounds are pretty obvious. They uh, criminal trades you know you're um, which is kind of interesting because it means anybody you know uh who comes from like you know they they includes architect you know there's academic interpersonal like uh, sociologist or photographer and technical like carpenter or a computer programmer so they're it's a bit, so very loose you know, uh, uh, category of trades Then there's investigation Are you fr- uh, And that includes people who are researchers Like, you know, academic researchers, historians But it also includes uh, journalists or detectives And it might even include people that are have very exacting knowledge of a specific area Like forensic scientists, a hacker, or even uh, an archaeologist so, uh, Or you can also come through a cult Okay, which I think is interesting because mathematician is, is part of the occult sec, uh, background.
1: Yeah, I don't get that. Yeah.
0: The deepest,
2: darkest maths.
0: Numbers are magic, if you, you know, and, and there are a lot of people who believe that numbers are special. Certain numbers like some, yeah
1: numerology six yeah, six yeah, six yeah.
0: seven 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 yeah. you know and all things like that you know
1: thirteen twenty three yeah
0: right right but it also includes people who are conspiracy pundits people who are skeptics because they are very familiar with all these other weirdo type things. Also, you could be a, a pastor, a street magician, a medium. These are all occult type things. It's not the, these are not. Um, Exhaustive lists, by the way, and then the interesting thing is tactical is disgraced scientist This is, you know, uh, uh, oh, what's, uh, what's his name? I can't think of his name from, um, uh, reanimator Um,
1: okay, he yeah, sa-
0: he says I didn't kill him. I gave him life <laughs> Or uh, it made me think because
2: based off one of its inspirations, um Dr. Bell from Fringe.
1: Walter, yeah. yeah. Yes,
0: okay. yes. He's definitely a disgraced scientist. So, uh, uh, a, ritual, <laughs> a ritualist of any type or a witch, people who have specific technical uh, skills, having to do with rituals and things like that, you know, that's what technical is okay so all these things are broken into academic interpersonal technical so you got to be really loose about these categories you know then they have public relations which I think is pretty obvious what they are because journalist is in public relations and also investigation but on the journalist side it's talking about the ability to read people rather than find information yeah, make see?
2: friends and influence people.
0: Yeah. On the technical side is game designer, which I'm like, what?
1: Okay. Wow. Uh, yeah.
0: Service yeah. rep, you know, salesperson, I guess. Yeah. Anyways. And then, uh, and then the final one is science. Okay. And an academic would be occultist, a a physicist, historian. You, have a, you are a highly educated specialist trained in the study of the material world. Has knowledge of the paranormal fuel, fueled your curiosity? Hmm. Interpersonal, we got archaeologist, psychologist, technical writer, and under technical, we have chemist, surgeon, data scientist. So again, lots of things are not mentioned here. I'm sure you could, you just, you know, look at, ask your GM, and or just decide yourself. I think. That this background matches what I want my character to know and do and be And we're, uh, as a background And we're just going to find, you know, we're going to lump them into wherever. Okay, so with that background, you then choose which department of the ECB you belong to And that's where it's important Okay, so for example, under administration Uh, the, uh since the lawyers, managers, and enforcers of this department are tasked with the difficult job of keeping the Bureau afloat. In broad strokes, they determine, interpret, and make judgment calls about Bureau policy. These are the people that are going to keep the other players in line. <laughs> right?
2: But, These are the managers.
0: Right. I mean, right there on that first sentence. Managers. Yes. Uh, and... Uh, you know, and he says, you can justify almost anything as being by the book under Bureau policy, but depending upon how abrasion your claim is, the GM will assign you one to three paperwork. Paperwork is something that basically goes against your ability to advance. So it's like, you know, yeah, you can, you, you can say, well, I think it really should be that way. And the GM's like, okay, fine, fine. That's the way it is. And he writes down three paperwork for this guy. Yeah. I think though it is and we'll talk about it later but
2: it, it it's 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 a bit of a it also can be helpful to you in the long run. It is kind of like a, a, an experience point in a
0: way. And your standard issue are a 3B suit a radio a cover identity deep pockets I'm assuming that means that you've got money uh and a direct line to central which it's kind of amazing if you if you play Bureau thirteen and you've tried to talk to anybody actually part of the bureau, how hard that is.
1: Yeah, that's not having an an somebody
0: who there. can literally pick up the phone and call like a senior a senior exec in the bureau. Uh, uh, uh you know, it, it might be really really important. So, anyways, uh, then we have field operations. They are the only ones authorized to carry armaments. Means that this guy up here in administration is probably not carrying, he's carrying a radio, not carrying weapons. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So lots of people, so it's not like Bureau 13 where everybody walks around with a gun hidden somewhere and an explosive watch and explosive tennis shoes and things like that. Okay. You have the equipment that basically, uh, again, it's standard issue gear. Doesn't mean you can't get other things, but this is your standard. Okay, so they, uh, uh, and it says here, your special ability is that you work with a small team of NPCs and once permission, you can call on them to get backup. So that can make a big difference. You have access, standard issue gear is armory access. Just basically, well, you know, he says, whatever weapons you want to take out of there, we're not going to talk about it. It's up to you to do that. You write it down. Okay, then we have human relations, which are really good. You know, they're, they're uh, important because one, there's this is really weird because you may offer employment with the bureau as leverage in a bargain. This may be, grant a bonus as being properly equipped and give you an extra die. But this is like so contrary to what you're supposed to be doing. You're essentially, you know, revealing the existence of the bureau.
2: I would assume this is. A- meant to be i mean if i was a gm over this of a session of this it would be this is a one huge potential generator of loose ends
0: yeah well yeah but it might it's also one of these things where it's like someone's like oh you know i I would help you except that you know then you're going to be gone and i have to face the consequences and i'm not going to do that and you say that's okay you can come with us we will we will protect you, and then, so you just get, tell us what we need to do. No, help us the way we need you to help, and we'll take care of you. And I could also
2: see this as possibly you offering employment with a front for the ECB.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
2: You know, well, how about, I I know a guy over at such and such delivery company. How about I get you a job? That you, you wouldn't even really need to ever reveal the existence of the paranormal and the ECB if, if done correctly. I think this has options if, depending on if the
0: player thinks about it. Okay. And then of course there's records meaning you get lots of really good information, including redacted records, records that other people can't get all that redaction we were talking about. Yeah. You know, so they says, I want information <laughs> about, you know, this and, and your GM hands you a, sh- a pa- piece of paper with half of it, you know, uh, magic markered out. Here you go. <laughs> but the person who's from records gets to see it without that. So having somebody from records might be really important.
1: I like their special ability. Once permission, you may draw a wild connection between the current mission and the similar phenomenon in the Bureau's records. It always holds a kernel of truth. Oh, yeah, there was this one time back in nineteen sixty three when this type of phenomenon was cited out in New Mexico. Yeah.
0: And you were expected to to basically narrate that.
1: Yeah. Oh, so the player comes up with something and it's not Uh the GM saying, oh. Okay, okay.
2: yeah, I'm definitely seeing the the tie-ins to Fringe with that guy because of all the episodes of Fringe where Dr. Bell would go, you know, back in the 70s, we did this thing
0: with this drug and it looked a lot like this.
1: Ah, okay.
0: (laughs) <laughs> and and so essentially it's an awful lot like steve Woollett's uh drama deck in the sense where you can basically just go and say hey i'm just gonna throw this in here and you the gm have to now make it real
1: yeah
2: again I, i'm i'm, I'm kind of liking this for again for this kind of casual you know short one shot-esque or short campaign sessions i like this kind of Open collaboration between more open collaboration between players and GM.
0: Right. So uh, then there's the research and development, and that's those are basically your makers, your fixers, whatever you want to call them, the people that basically come up with the specialized gear you need in order to do the job, whether it be uh, you know a a, a fog that uh, basically uh, you know knocks out werewolves or uh, you know something that'll. You know, hypnotize uh, a whole uh, building full of, of um, you know, couch potatoes so you can walk in and, and, and uh, grab the supernatural. I mean, that's, you know, they you, standard issue lab coat, radio, cover identity, recording equipment, and testing equipment. But you also can create a experimental device specifically suited for the task at hand. And it provides that bonus of being properly equipped when
1: you want to make that successful K, did you flash me with that flashy thing? No. Yeah, I'm serious. Kay. did you flash me with that flashy thing? No. <laughs>
0: never, never, never. How many times I have you heard. flashed that poor woman? She's gonna get cancer.
1: Yeah, you flash out half her medical school. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I think that is actually at the, at the end of it. I think
1: that's kind of where they went.
0: This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million million worlds out there, so go explore them.
1: And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming